Good morning, beloved. At New Hope Chapel, I'm Dr. Bill Smith. I'm one of the members of the teaching team here. And I miss you guys like crazy. I can't wait till we get back together. But today I just wanted to share with you this verse that you see uh, on the screen right now and uh, what this has come to mean to me. I've been carrying around a thermos. As you can see, I have it here with me. And I've been carrying the thermos around to make sure I'm drinking enough water. I'm trying to consume 64 ounces of water a day as been prescribed by my nutritionist. As some of you know, I have diabetes. And uh, at the beginning of the COVID situation, my wife, Beth, who works with COVID patients, uh, was uncomfortable with me living at home because I would be high risk at my age and with diabetes. So I lived with her sister for about seven or eight weeks. And during that time, I made up my mind to get very serious about managing my diabetes much better. And so I changed my lifestyle, started exercising, and I began to get very serious about my diet as well. And during that time, I began to lose weight. I started this project at 210 pounds. And as of this morning, as I record this, I'm 178 pounds. And for those who are familiar with uh, sugar levels, the doctor, or not familiar with it, the doctor likes to see uh, the sugar level right around 100, plus or minus about, about 10 points. I was averaging up around 160, 170, up, up in that range. And now um, things have changed dramatically. Because I radically changed my diet, I was able to also begin to come off of the medications I was on, Metformin at 2,000 milligrams a day, glimepiride at 5 milligrams a day, and one shot of the highest dosage of Trulicity uh, to 1.5 milligrams a day. Uh, now, I am no longer taking the glimepiride. I no longer take the Trulicity, and instead of 2,000 milligrams of metformin, I'm on 1,000 milligrams of metformin, which is just one pill in the morning, which I can, I can handle that. At the present moment, I'm also working very closely with my endocrinologist, who's running all the tests and keeping track of all the numbers that I don't really understand. But the one number that's of some concern is my kidney function number, they call creatinine, is uh, getting a little high. And that could be actually to the drugs. So maybe coming off the drugs will help uh, reverse that as well. Uh, but the key thing that they want me to do is to make sure I stay well hydrated, which is why I always have this. So every time I take a drink of water, I see that scripture. And so for now, I'm being set free from prescription medications. Of course, there are other things that I need to be set free from as well. So this particular scripture the truth will set you free, is used in a lot of places, many of us know it. We see Jim Carrey use it in the movie Liar Liar. Uh, John Hopkins University, if you know a little Latin, that's their motto, veritas bus liberatat, liberabit, which means the truth will set you free. The original CIA building had this scripture inscribed on it. We may use it and many use it, but few understand the real context, and as good students of the scripture, 
we all understand, especially here at New Hope Chapel, that context is critically important. And so we take a look at this context of this particular verse, and we read about Jesus responding to the Jews who had believed him. And Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So one could ask three basic questions here. What is truth? What is free from what? And what does this word hold mean? So let's start with the word hold, because it's, in a way, the most important word there, to hold to my teachings. So the word hold is really sort of a Greek phrase or two words, and most of the uh, translators have translated into keep or abide or continue in or hold. And I'm going to use the word hold for our talk today. Now, whenever you read the word if, if sets up a condition. It's what we call a quid pro quo. It's this for that. Whenever you see the word if in scripture, then look for the then that's coming. It's setting up some kind of condition. So when you find if, then look for the then to get the result. That the condition must be filled to get the result. So halfway through verse 31, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching. When I teach negotiation, which I teach a lot, I always recommend the quid pro quo because it's uh, of the 65 techniques I teach, it's the most fair, feels the most fair. If you do this, then I'll do this. All other techniques, the other 64, are one-sided. The most common one you can see here on the slide is disclaimer. Uh, disclaimer is this reaction like, come on, I can't believe that. Or that's too high, you need to lower your price. Those kind of techniques are all one-sided. You have to do something, but I'm not doing anything. But Jesus does it a little differently. I do something if you do something. But in many negotiations, they're all one-sided. And in many ways, this same thing happens with this very verse, the way it's quoted. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's like, I know the truth, so the truth sets me free. I don't have to do anything, right? But remember, Jesus started with, if you hold to my teachings, then. It's a two-sided deal. And Jesus is being fair with us. We have to do something, and then he provides something. Now, before you become alarmed that I'm getting into legalism, let me just say, I am hyper aware of and allergic to legalism. In churches I've been in the past, whenever I heard a teacher or a pastor move towards legalism, I've challenged them. And if I didn't see a change, then it was time for us to go to another church. On the other hand, I'm not going to the other end of the scale, which says we're completely and totally free and can just go along for the ride, having to do nothing. So whenever scripture confronts me with a quid pro quo, I grimace. And then I acknowledge the truth God is presenting to me. If there is something I want or need, God has set a condition for me to get it. And then I must move into those conditions. In this case, the return to us is freedom. If you want freedom, then 
you must hold on to, abide in, continue in, stay in the word of God. Then the truth sets you free. What if, it, if Jesus said, if you agree with my teaching, then you'll be set free? I mean, that's how many people treat that verse. Just agree with the teaching. Then we'd all have to just agree and we'd be set free. The only place in scripture where this particular situation is true is actually with salvation. All we have to do is believe on his name in order to get a salvation. Salvation doesn't provide freedom, though. A pastor in England called a name Peter Horbin tells a story about saving a boy's life who had become stranded in the middle of a river. So he was able to get a rope out to him. He told him to tie the rope around him, but then he said, but it's even more important that you hold on to the rope then I can pull you to safety. It really wouldn't have been enough for the boy to believe the rope would save him. It wouldn't have been enough for him to agree that the rope was a good idea. He would actually have to hold on to the rope to get to freedom. See, listen, you can acknowledge or agree the Bible is the word of God, but then never read it or apply it into your life. And you will be continually defeated by the various strongholds in your life that hold you back, by the very sins that keep you from moving forward. You can be saved, but still be in prison. And that's how I've been handling my diabetes the past many years. I believed all the things that I was told to do, and I believed they would help me. But I didn't always do them. I didn't always exercise. I didn't always stay away from sugars and carbohydrates. Or you can agree with God's word and do something. Do what Jesus taught. Then you will know the truth and then the truth will set you free. So what did Jesus teach? Well, he taught many things. The three things he taught were forgiveness and prayer and to love one another. You know, forgiveness is a great stress reducer. A, fundal, a fundamental way that we can hold on to the teachings of Jesus is to forgive others. And that can be tough. Someone once likened not forgiving others as carrying around a backpack full of rocks for no purpose just carrying them around. Forgiveness would be removing the backpack and taking the rocks out and then throwing away the backpack. Someone else once said, you've probably heard this before, withholding forgiveness is like you drinking poison and waiting for the other person to get sick. Forgiveness is the essence of the teachings of Jesus. We can get caught up in all kinds of theology and all kinds of philosophies and become removed from the core teaching of Jesus and the core accomplishment of Jesus, which is forgiveness. In Luke 24, we hear Jesus talking to his disciples after he's been resurrected. And it says, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, 
and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you were witnesses of these things. I've been watching a series of videos, I've made many different videos and books and so on, but this one has, uh, holds out the most hope for me. It's a series of videos by a Dr. Scott Sanders, a medical doctor who treated people for years using medication to help them man manage their diabetes. And then he had a change of heart and began working on how to reverse diabetes to eventually get people off the drugs, which is the definition of reversing diabetes, is to not be dependent on drugs. The first series of videos, he explains what diabetes really is and what causes blood sugar strike, uh, spikes and so on, uh, things I already actually knew. And one video was about how stress affects blood sugar. And again, I already knew that, but I was fascinated by the mechanics of it, so I went ahead and listened to it anyway. His own revelation about the relationship between stress and blood sugar was with one of his patients who, no matter what medication or diet or exercise protocol he gave her, her blood sugar would not come down. And then one day she calls, sort of in a panic, feeling really sluggish and drowsy and shaking, and he says, well, go check your blood sugar. And her blood sugar was at 40. That's approaching a coma state. And so he said, go drink some orange juice, and then he asked what she's been doing differently, and there was nothing that she was doing differently. But he really wanted to dig into what happened here. And eventually he was able to find out that her daughter, her adult age daughter, had been living with her and they fought like cats and dogs. And then eventually her daughter moved out to her own place, and then her daughter started calling her, and they became best of friends. And her blood sugar went down just that level of stress was causing the blood sugar to go down. So he began to talk about different ways to manage stress, something I'm already familiar with, but I wanted to listen anyway, because you can always learn something. And he talked about the importance of sleep. And he talked about exercise and forgiveness. He also talked about the importance of having a focus so that you become less aware of all the dangers around you because you're focused on a goal. And then he said the most important way to manage stress was love. And I thought, what? That really surprised me. And then he began to quote scripture and talk about what Jesus taught us about love. Another way we can hold on to the teachings of Jesus is to pray. Prayer also reduces stress. And we read in Matthew chapter 6 how he taught us to pray what we now call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those 
who have trespassed against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And then he goes on to say in the 14th verse, right after this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, then your Father will not forgive your sins. There's the quid pro quo again. If you forgive, then you're forgiven. If you don't forgive, then you're not forgiven. So you want to be set free? Then you must be in a place where truth can set you free. You get into that place by holding on to, staying in, keeping in, abiding in the teachings of Jesus. We are set free when we think like Jesus. And when Jesus says you'll be set free, we should ask, free from what? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells us, he says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Jesus and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He's offering us freedom from the old self, the way we used to attempt to manage or deal with our stress, with our anxiety, with our fear, and with our hopelessness. These old ways actually really never worked. But many times we go back to them, even though they didn't work before, except maybe for a short period of time. I see this in organizations I work with all the time. I'll see or people in organizations say, well, let's try this. Of course, they had already tried it before and it didn't work. So they're saying, let's try this again. It didn't work before. Maybe it'll work this time. They keep going back, as some of us do, back to the same prison cell, even though the door is open because Jesus opened it. And finally, another way we can hold on to the teachings of Jesus is to love others, as he says in John 13. A new command I give to you, to love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It is good for us to love others. It reduces our stress. And we get set free. The challenge for us, though, is that there are some people who are easy to love and there are some people who are hard to love. In his book, The Magnificent Defeat, Frederick Buechner spells this out in a beautiful way. 
and he suggests there's sort of four levels of love. The first is the love for equals. It's a human thing, a friend for friend, brother for brother. It is to love what is loving and lovely, and the world smiles. I call this the easy love. I don't really think this is the love Jesus was talking about because this type of love really already existed prior to Jesus coming. I think he's talking about the next three types of love. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion. And it touches the heart of the world. This type of love is a bit less natural. And, and if it had not been for Jesus, it might be non-existent by now. Prior to coming to know Jesus, I would be more inclined to judge those very people for not picking themselves up by their bootstraps or not taking care of their health better. I would judge them instead of loving them. But there's a third level that Buchner talks about. It's the love for the more fortunate. That's a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail. To rejoice without envy for those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich. Of the oppressed man for the oppressor. The world is always bewildered by its saints. It is a much rarer love. Some, of, some people have the tendency to sort of resent or envy those people who are more successful. Many times when I see very successful people, my thoughts are inclined to think, well, they were corrupt in some way. They took advantage of people. My grandson, Liam, however, he seems to have this love naturally. He's always celebrating everyone else's successes, even people he doesn't know. He applauds them and congratulates them. But there's this fourth level of love for the enemy, the love for the one who does not love you, but mocks you, threatens you, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love. It conquers the world. I think this is the love Jesus was talking about. It's the very thing that happened to him. And yet he continued to love us all. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's how he conquered the world. I think often of this passage of Buchner's book to assess or evaluate my own level of love. My goal is to get to level four, but to be open, I'm not always good at level one, the easy love. So look, if you feel stuck, like sin keeps winning and you sometimes feel overwhelmed, then reach out and hold on to the teachings of Jesus. Continue praying, thinking about the people who've hurt you and for whom you haven't been able to forgive them and start to move in the direction of forgiveness, slowly and carefully, and asking God to make up the difference when you lack the strength 
to completely forgive. It might take some time, and that's okay. Just continue to hold on to his teaching so that you can be set free. And finally, allow God to fill your heart with love so full that there's room for nothing else, and then pour out that love on everyone around you, regardless of their social status, their situation, their economic situation, the color of their skin, their position in society. Love everyone. Practice love. Remember, practice makes progress. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for our freedom, freedom from prejudice, hatred, self-centeredness, sensuality, freedom from being judgmental, freedom from trying to live without you. Help us to forgive where we can forgive. Teach us to pray when we don't know what to pray and fill our hearts with love, with love for everyone, not just for those who are easy to love, but to be able to love those who are hardest to love, like you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Goodbye, beloved. Hope to see you soon.